folks, welcome into the Orange and Brown Report podcast. I am your host, Jared Mueller. Alongside me today is the host of OPR Film Breakdown, Jake Burns. Jake, how are you doing today, brother? Great, Jared. How are you, my friend? You know, I'm good. It's uh, like almost 75 degrees where I am, uh, and I'm still in the great state of Ohio. Uh, the Browns are, are moving in positive directions. The Cleveland Cavaliers might make some trades. Uh, the sports are just going, and I don't know what the Indians are going to do after those trade, you know, after the trade this year, all that stuff. But the Browns are positive, which is very rare. Normally, it's some of the other teams that are the positives, but but we're looking at the Cleveland Browns as they've been in free agency now for a little while. There's kind of a lull right now, so you know, just enjoying positive stuff, right? That's 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 unusual for us in the off season. Yes, it's starting with free agency here. It's been a full-on praise session for Cleveland, in which that's great, you know, like, and I don't think it's like a New England type of they're winning the offseason, they're going out and acquiring all of these faces, and and uh, I think that, who was it the other day, Mike Clay or whatever on mm-hmm. Twitter was kind of like referencing how well they're doing, and I think people that, I think, listen, there's a faction of folks that we communicate with on Twitter who I don't think understand the subtle nuances of analyzing positional value and money spent and that stuff. They just look at the names that they get Carl Lawson to the, and they maybe think they didn't hit a home run, but then there are people who like understand how you tie up your money, how you structure your contracts, what positions you're upgrading, what positions you, you stayed away from overpaying and like those folks are people who I really respect and I'm not trying to like separate people and get really mean, but, like, they're just some folks who I think are really good at that. Like, they're really good at any profession, and they really respect what Andrew Barry's doing. So, you know, you feel good because they got two secondary players that are going to help immensely, and John Johnson and Troy Hill, and, and they, they have been um, frugal about not overspending, but, but also structuring some deals like Tack McKinley and Malik Jackson, in a sense, and Anthony Walker, too, in a sense that it, uh, it fits for them for a year, but potentially longer, you know, like, so uh, I'm just really happy with where they are. I think that they they seem to be making the right moves. Now, winning the offseason is not their goal here. They're they're definitely trying to get better, but being like splash home run guys, uh, you know, and I I think, let me kind of say this too, I get out in the weeds here, I'm sorry, but (laughs) like, like, sometimes I think like, air quotes, winning the offseason or making these splash, uh, splash signings or trades or whatever, Sometimes it's like, well, those things kind of work sometimes. Like, so you might, like, knock teams like New England or whatever, but sometimes those teams like the Bears a couple years back and, like, the Giants a couple years, like, they spend and they're pretty good for it. And and that can happen uh, in, in the right situation. So if you, you're, you're smart about how you spend with also being able to go out and get a premier safety to address a position of need, then it's like the right mix. And I think that right now you feel pretty good about how smart they have been and how smart you feel like they're going to be with big decisions in the future looming. And I think that's really the word you've we've you've said and we've heard from a lot of people is the word smart. And that's not just because, you know, this is an analytics-driven uh, team, quote-unquote, or, you know, they're from Harvard and all that stuff. The reality is, is everything seems to make sense. It's not overdoing. It's not underdoing. It's not, you know, holding fast to a line where we're just not going to add somebody if they're near the age of 30. It's not, we're not going to pay people. But it is all smart. It's not going above and beyond. It's not splurging. It's none of those kind of things. And so that word, I think, is going to live with this front office and this coaching staff, win or lose, 
right? Win or lose, smart is going to be the word. And so as you talk about adding players and winning the offseason, the reality is is you can win an offseason and win some extra games. But if that winning the offseason was to put people in place as your true foundation, I don't think that tends to last. But what has happened in Cleveland is the true foundation really in a lot of ways is set, right, with Baker, the offensive line, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson. There's a lot of the foundation set, but there were some cracks in that foundation that needed to be filled, and so John Johnson, Troy Hill, um, you know, just just across the board, they, they filled those. But then there's also moves like Greg Sennett's, you know, bringing back Hollywood Higgins, bringing back Malcolm Smith. All of those things are shoring up that foundation and then building upon it and allowing players like Odell Beckham Jr., hopefully Jarvis Landry, the tight ends, to succeed, allowing, you know, Miles Garrett to have time to get to the quarterback. So I think what the Browns have done is is very smart, and they're only really able to do it because they did have a foundation to build upon, you know, over the last few years and all of the additions there. So they were able to do that, whereas New England had to create their foundation in a lot of ways because of age, because of Brady leaving, all of that kind of stuff. So it is really fun to have the smartest guys in the room uh, on our side at this point in time. Yeah, and, and listen, like they're not uh, – I, I just kind of hear things that you say that are great points that just remind me of things like – they're not perfect. They're going to mess up. They're going to have issues with picks. They're not going to do everything right. Maybe they didn't sign. Maybe they'll regret not paying, uh, offering up more to Carl Lawson, whatever. You know, like they're definitely not perfect. They shouldn't be perceived as being perfect, but their process is really good. And, like, it seems like the process that they have applied. And, again, it, the, the process piggybacks between – when Andrew Berry was here at first, the assets he gave to John Dorsey, some of the things John Dorsey did, some, and then that sets you up for this guy, Andrew Berry, coming back in now as a seasoned uh, front office leader who, who can apply all of it together. He can apply the best of the analytics side, the best of the tape side, his playing experience, and they kind of run at full circle. So you can you can argue the whole Sashi whatever thing and John Dorsey <laughs> thing, but they, they, they both did positive things. Without Sashi's uh, decisions to sacrifice some certain things, you don't get a an opportunity for John Dorsey to make the first and fourth picks and, and, and draft Nick Chubb. So, you know, and you can complain about some things John did, and they're, they're ultimately the reason John got fired were some of those decisions. So, you know, um, I guess I guess my point is, like, it took everybody collectively. Whether people want to hear that or not is irrelevant to me. It, it kind of led full circle to then uh, making Andrew Barry walk into a, a place where he could apply what he knows, work closely with Paul DePodesta, make the right coaching hire, and and then have a fully aligned vision here. Um, it was a circuitous path, right? Like, it was a weird way to get there where they got. But, I mean, I feel better about the Browns than I ever have, and that's – that's a real tribute to, 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 to the guys who said it from Sashi to John's, some of John's decisions to now Andrew being the right guy at the right time with Kevin at the right guy at the right time and hopefully a long future between those guys. So that stuff's cool, man. It's really cool, and, and they're doing a nice job and, and setting themselves up. And good. It's good for the immediate. They're doing a great job with knowing they're in a championship window and applying immediate upgrades to what they need, but they're not sacrificing those immediate upgrades with future 
stuck situations. Even the best of the best they've signed, John Johnson, Austin Hooper, even Jack Conklin, they can get out of most of those deals after the next year or two. They're not stuck in some hole. They're only really long-term committed right now, truly long-term committed to Miles Garrett. So, you know, you're shaping everything around it. You've still got options, but you also have a really good group right now, and, and you can still commit yourself down the line if you want to Nick, to Baker, to, to Denzel, and potentially more guys. So, they're, listen, man, they're in a good spot. And I think that's exactly right. I am, uh, as long-term listeners or readers of, of mine know, I'm all about the process. The reality in life and, and sports is you cannot guarantee an outcome, right? The, the more I look at the NFL playoffs, it, it feels a little bit like Yahtzee in that you got to get there, you got to be at your best when you're there, you hope injuries don't go you know, against you, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is you cannot control the outcome. All you can do is control the process. And the facts are is that, Sashi, Hugh Jackson, John Dorsey, Freddie Kitchens, all of those people, moves and bad moves and good moves and everything else led to Miles Garrett, led to Baker Mayfield, led to Denzel Ward, um, you know, drafting Jabril Peppers, led to, as a part of, Odell Beckham. You know, like, it, it all just kind of plays together, and, and you wouldn't have some of those things without some of the mistakes. Who knows where we would be? And so it's about appreciating, right? It's about seeing what it is and seeing what it could be. And, and we're at a place, you know, there's a piece going up on the OBR soon from me, uh, just kind of looking at where the roster could be right now, um, the 53-man. And there's there's not a lot of significant holes as we uh, at the OBR start cornerback week, as we go back and start to look through positions, looking at the draft. Um, Fred, Steven, myself, we've had some stuff up. I know you're going to have a film room coming up soon. So we're kind of in that place where now we get to move forward. Instead of trying to create a foundation, it's it's finding the capstones. It's finding the players that can be good, you know, as this window opens and trying to keep it open. But one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about is actually you gave me a new language uh, that I hadn't heard before. So um, you brought up Where's Waldo? I believe it was on our four-hour off-season kickoff show when we were talking. Uh, the idea that, you know, I've heard it as find the turd, weak link, all there's a lot of different kind of terminology for it. But the idea that, you know, for any team, it's, it's about finding that guy that you can attack. Last year on defense, the Browns had a bunch of them. Years prior on the offensive line, the Browns had a few of them. As you look at the team right now, and you think of the idea of where's Waldo, if you were trying to attack the Browns, offense, defense, whichever side you want to look at, where's Waldo now for you as you look at this team? Well, I mean, I would I would say they they man, they don't necessarily have somebody like I, I mean, I would essentially go after Greedy. If Greedy's starting, I would want to test him. I would I would put them in situations where I'm testing Greedy tackling one-on-one as often as possible to see if his shoulder can hold up or if he's healthy or if he's playing right. I would, you know, teams run duo from tight bunch sets because it tests and makes corners tackle on an island. And, uh, you know, as teams kind of fit run fits to have to bounce it, then the, the show me your corner can tackle. I would, I would go that direction. I would challenge, um, you know, I would continue to try to challenge tight end play because – the Browns linebackers sometimes can end up on tight ends, and you're still dealing with, you know, Anthony Walker's a pretty solid downhill player, but he's not as consistent in pass coverage, so I would look there. And uh, I would I would obviously challenge the, the currently their second DN, Tack McKinley. I would, 
I would go after Tack and make him prove he can play both phases. And I would obviously have no fear in attacking in the interior and trying to make sure Andrew Billings and and Sheldon Richardson are willing to play the run game too. I think they've shored up some of their secondary stuff. They want to keep adding more. But, you know, if you look at the Browns roster, you want to try to find ways to make their tight ends, their linebackers cover as much as possible. On the other side of the football, uh, I would continue to press. I would press their wide receivers and make them prove they can beat tight coverage. And uh, I would go after... Uh, I would go after Baker in terms of trying to manipulate ways to get pressure on him and make Baker prove that he can throw against not just when you blitz him, but when you actually get pressure into his face, continue to make him make those throws. So I don't know that there's like a pick on this guy because things can fluctuate so much and it's hard to necessarily pick on one guy in, 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 in a multiple phase system. But if I'm looking at just like, Having to name one person, it would definitely be greedy, and it's the health and wellness of his shoulder and making him make plays not only in the run game, but making him prove that he can go up and use his above the head with his arms ability like that stuff. Prove to me you're healthy, man. And if you're not, he's probably still the weak link that has got to prove he can play consistently at the NFL level. Yeah, and it actually explains we know that the Browns were in on Shaquille Griffin, who ended up going to Jacksonville, going back home to Florida, no state tax, good contract, all of that kind of stuff. There's been conversations about Garyon Conley uh, and some interest there. Uh, who knows about Steven Nelson? So if that's true on the defensive side, with, with specifically with Greedy Williams, I think that explains some of their look at uh, outside cornerback. I think it also really focuses our interest when it comes to uh, the NFL draft and, and some of those outside guys. Uh, today, J.C. Horn ran and tested really well, um, and so there, that could be really interesting. Farley's injury concern may drop him down the board. Who knows what the Browns will do or any team will do when it comes to kind of that red flag. What's really interesting about how you just described the Browns' defense and even a little bit the Browns' offense is you really described – some of the things that the Baltimore Ravens do well, you, you kind of describe some of the things the Kansas City Chiefs do well, and you kind of describe some of the things that the Buffalo Bills can do well, you know, three of the Browns' you know, top competitors. So I think it's really interesting that some of their probable weaknesses, possible weaknesses, areas that are going to be tested, are going to be tested often by the three of the top other teams in the AFC, which goes to show you that most likely, as you talked, the Browns aren't done, right? The, the Browns are still looking to add, whether it's in free agency or the draft. Oh, absolutely. They have to continue to bolster with as many different uh, defensive types that they like. They could go get another safety. I definitely think between free agency and the draft, they have to get another corner that can play outside comfortably. And it also wouldn't be unwise to get a future. I mean, Troy Hill's a good player. He's got some years left, but he's 30. And it wouldn't be a terrible idea to start grooming a next slot corner. Like, the thing that I feel good about is, yeah, I would like them to solidify their second defensive end. But there's a world in which they just really like Tack McKinley and think if he's healthy and he's out of Atlanta and Dan Quinn's failing situation there and his fallout with that staff, like, he could have a, a Shaq Barrett-esque resurgence of his career. So, you know, because he wasn't a bad football player his first three years. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. So maybe there's something there, and maybe they like him a lot more than we think they do, and they just want to maybe go draft a guy. So, like, you know, I think that the only thing I'm looking at this situation and saying they need to go get these guys in some form or fashion is an outside corner and a defensive end. 
Now, you could comfortably draft a guy within the range of, like, we think this is the best available player. I hope they do that. So my goal would be to go into the draft, whether you feel comfortable needing to sign a veteran defensive end or you need to go sign someone like Steven Nelson or whatever uh, for as a corner, whatever makes you go into the draft feeling like whatever pick, 26, 59, 89, 91, 110, whatever, you pick the best player available and don't worry about what position they are to an extent. Don't pick a kicker. Don't pick a quarterback. But, like, <laughs> you know, like pick the best player is available. I don't care if you sit there and you say, well, you know, this guy's a tight end. We don't really need a, a, a fourth tight end necessarily. But, well, we think he's going to be big time. And, and, like, Hunter Long from Boston College, for example, if he's your best player grade by far, take him. Because my, David Njoku's contract's up after 2021. And Austin Hooper's a guy whose contract you can get out of after 2021. There's moves that can be made. So, like, just pick the best player when it's up. And I think that those two roles, edge and corner outside, are both perfectly aligned with some free agents. And it will be a position that wherever they pick, I don't think they're going to have to stretch because I think that there are going to be some best players that are available and align perfectly with those roles that they need. Yeah, it's really, really impressive, to be honest, that there are still some outside corners uh, and edge rushers that that fit kind of for the Browns. Those are two positions that, you know, free safety or safety in general doesn't, you know, tends to get underpaid. Um, Inside slot tends to get underpaid, whereas outside corner, edge rusher, those tend to get overpaid. So it's interesting that Andrew Barry has kind of focused, or at least seems like, based on who he's signed, on some positions that tend to not get as overpaid in free agency as other positions. And I think that's going to be really helpful to give them some options. And and for Browns fans, I think it's going to be unique to continue to watch them become good uh, because good teams act differently than bad teams. I know that sounds overly simplified, but good teams are often planning ahead, thinking ahead, trying to figure out what's next. Nick Harris is a great example of that. J.C. Cheddar's contract is going to be up. He's getting older. He's had He's been dinged up, all of that kind of stuff. So last year, in the I believe it was the fifth round, they, they draft a guy. He's undersized, but he fits as a zone-blocking center. Give him a little bit of time to develop. So instead of maybe after next year or the year after that, instead of being desperate for a center, they've had somebody in their system. They've been growing. They've been developing him. They've had him on a cheap contract and they know the guy, and they can extend him or put him in positions to succeed because of that. And that's what good teams do. They build their foundation, not just of talented players, but of grooming and developing players. And you can only do that when you have that alignment and when you have a coaching staff and a a front office that's going to be around for a while, right? If not, players tend to come and go because they're not my guy, they don't fit my system, whatever it is, but a player like Harris is a great example of someone who could, and I'm not pretending he's going to be great, but he could be ready to step in as a starting center for Treader this year if something happens, next year if the contract, all of that kind of stuff. And that's really, you know, for Browns fans, that idea of planning ahead, thinking ahead, uh, because the foundation seems to already be set. So obviously well, I'll Jake, say something to do, I'll add a caveat, which is like, you know, so many people who talk about pick 26 – they think, and it's no fault of anybody, it's it's the nature of the situation we've seen with drafting in Cleveland. They think pick 26 is going to be like an immediate impact player for us. And I don't, I you need to temper your expectations. Sometimes you can find the T.J. Watts of the world who come in and are immediate players, but like, 
for the most part, you don't you don't get an immediate necessarily an immediate player that can impact at 26. They need a little time to develop or something. So I think you know, like David Njoku and Jabril Peppers are good examples of late first rounders. Those are the most recent ones we've had. So you know, it took. Jabril a couple of years. It's obviously still moving uh, up and down for David, as is, as I know that position's challenging more so than most others. But like, you're not picking a top five player at pick 26, so you got to stop worrying so much about uh, perception and really look at what the traits are that they like that they think this guy can develop down the line. So that's important to me that I think fans have to understand that is you, you're not you're so accustomed to picking at the top end of the draft that you think these guys are going to come in and Miles Garrett the world. Well, that's not <laughs> that's not the case necessarily. It'd be nice, but that's not necessarily the case here. So you have to temper your expectations, and it's a big reason why the Browns don't want to feel the need to pick somebody uh, because they need to fill that role, right? Like they have to be patient and look and see and evaluate what's there at the right time to make the right move. So uh, that, that's why I'm, I'm particularly excited about the savviness they've shown to make sure that they don't stretch themselves or make a poor decision based on what our what does our roster currently have type of thing. Absolutely, and I think, uh, yeah, you're right. We're used to instant starters, and, and the reality is if they draft an outside corner, it's possible they are an instant starter. It's possible the defensive end is an instant starter, but the reality is, is their impact may be, it's going to be up and down. It's going to be hot and cold. That's what happens with rookies. Maybe they start off cold, they warm up, and then they hit a rookie wall. You know, all of those things, you know, are, are really interesting. And it's actually one of the reasons, along with kind of the roster and how many good players they have, that while people talk about trading back, I'm really wondering and interested if if Andrew Barry actually has some interest in moving up to, to kind of collect his, a couple of his assets, whether that's that extra third-round pick from New Orleans, uh, to move up a decent amount, whether that's a future pick, whether that's one of his extra force, to make sure he gets the guy that he's looking for, right? He's not He doesn't have a need for eight starters like maybe he felt like he had last year. He has the need for maybe two, maybe one, maybe none, if Tack McKinley and Greedy Williams are fine. Um, but I wonder if he may actually be aggressive in the opposite direction, which is unusual. It's not what people think the Browns will do. They think they'll trade back, add more picks. But the reality is, is this is a roster that is coming together and maybe a pick, a top 20 pick, you know, 20, 21, 18, somewhere in that range gets them the guy that they want to start across from Miles Garrett long-term or maybe gets the guy they want to start across from Denzel Ward long-term or, heck, gets them a wide receiver to add some of that speed or that size so that as teams try to press them, like you talked about, they have a different option out there. So it'll be really interesting what direction they go and how they view those those kind of skills, those kind of talents um, that are going to be on the board. But you're right, 26 is not a top 10 pick, right? Totally different well, yeah, expectations. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. They, they would love for that guy to come in and be that player um, instantaneously, but you don't – you don't know, right? Like you don't you don't want to bank on that, and um, you know you certainly you certainly want to be uh, pretty patient with it. You, like you obviously want a guy to come in and be a TJ Watt like player. I just use him as an example from sure. the end of the first round, but like you want him to be that guy, but you you don't want to you don't want to sit there and make it seem like it's a lock or they're going into like it's a lock. You know you want to. You want to bring that guy along, and if he blows you out of the water in training camp and has a great rookie year, then that's awesome too. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's the difference, be, again, between a good team that wants to compete and one that doesn't, or just not able to, isn't there yet. You can you can have your first-round pick kind of bump his way along in his rookie year and keep him as a starter so, you know, he kind of figures it out if you're not a team that's expected to win, don't have your quarterback, whatever it is. But once you have all of those things, those rookie mistakes are just not as acceptable, right? Let them learn get a few snaps, you know, get 25, 30% of the the defensive snaps or the offensive snaps, but let's limit the amount of mistakes they can make because you're trying to compete for something versus a bad team. Just throw them out there. Let them figure it out. Let them get through all of his bumps and bruises. It's okay. We're not really competing for anything. So the more snaps he can get, the better. I think it's just a totally different place for the Browns to be that, to be honest, we're not used to and we're still learning even how to talk about a good quality team that has real Super Bowl aspirations. So uh, before we go into just talking about maybe riskiest additions and or position group right now, which we talked a little bit about, uh, first I want to just pause for a second for our sponsors. So make sure you click on that, go to that website, whatever sponsorships we give. Like I always ask you guys, uh, please support those that support us, a part of the OBR. Again, check out everything at theobr.com. We're a part of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. And then, again, all of our partners at Blue Wire, right, all of the different great podcasts that are about a variety of things, primarily around sports, Make sure you check out all those other pods while you're out running. The weather is coming, you know, it's turning around for us, for most of us. So make sure you check out, you know, support those who support us, support our teammates. If you love us, make sure you show some love to them as well. So, Jake, as we kind of look at the Browns have made a lot of additions or re-signings. Is there any of the players, given what their expectations are, are there any of the players that you would say you feel like is a risky addition or concerning addition given contract and what the expectations are here for the Browns in 2021? Honestly, no, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I get, I guess if you want to peg one, it's like, is Anthony Walker going to perform well enough? But they, they paid him so little. I, I think that the way, especially the way his, his teammates talk about him from, from, from Indianapolis, it's like, you know, it's kind of obvious he rubs off on people that way. So I, I don't. I think the Toyo contract was, contract was great. I mean, John Johnson plays physical. He did have the one year of injury concern where he had the shoulder surgery in 2019. But, like, I can't argue the money they gave him and the way they can get out of it if they need to and how high-end his potential impact could be both on and off the field in the community and, and all of it. So – no, I hate to be lame, but as of right now, no. I don't I don't see a problem with any deal they've made. Like, for example, Cincinnati feels like a lot of people who cover them and a lot of people who pay close attention feel like they made a big mistake letting Carl Lawson go and the price they paid to bring in Trey Hendrickson based on pressure rates, based on how Hendrickson generated his high sack numbers. Like, those are real concerns, and especially the money they gave him. So, like, I don't feel any of that based on what they did. I feel like they – they have gotten the, some really good pieces for their situation and have not overextended themselves to do it and provided themselves ways to save themselves after a year or two if the worst of the worst comes to fruition, which I just don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah, given all of that, just kind of looking at where the Browns are then, I want to ask you a little bit about 
roles and who plays together. So obviously we have the hope that there are three safeties, uh, John Johnson, uh, Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit. Right now it seems like the Browns have Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and Troy Hill. But let's talk about linebacker. When you look at Anthony Walker, uh, obviously people talk about him in, in a lot of ways. You're right. His teammates just absolutely love him. Worst case scenario, the hope is that he's a different but younger version of B.J. Goodson. When you look at the linebackers right now in the starting group, if that's two linebackers that are starting because you have three safeties starting, who do you think those two linebackers that fit together, and then who are their backups? So what does that group look like to you when it comes to their roles and how they play and what they're good at? Well, Taki Taki should be the Sam in three linebacker base sets. He can play forward. He's a good run fitter. He's he's a solid tackler. He'll hit you. He's the ideal guy. If they play two, I definitely think Walker feels like your Mike linebacker, a guy who, again, very hyper-prepared, good leadership traits, good communicator, uh, who will rub off on a Will linebacker who I think if you're looking at your young Will linebacker, I mean, Jacob Phillips had his best performances late in the year playing Mike, splitting duties with B.J. Goodson, and perhaps down the line they want him to have that role. But if he can play Will and play with in, in space with speed and use some of those traits he has, he could be a good player as a Will. And Malcolm Smith will get snaps at that Will position. I think that they got him. Uh, him and him and Phillips can, can, can certainly play the Will position and rotate and play together. And I think that they, in an ideal world they'd like Mac Wilson to rotate and be the guy behind uh, Anthony Walker when a break is needed to play that role. So I don't know. It's all projection. I think that they'll mm-hmm. have to see, we'll have to see what they get. Um, you know, they could draft a guy too. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I, I think if they got a good group to the point that if they did not draft a linebacker, I would not be surprised. Although everybody uh, that yells at me about mock drafts and, and Steven and yourself is like, they got to take a linebacker. I, they, if they didn't take one, I would be zero percent surprised. So um, if if they do, then then they'll try to find a guy. Cheap, dirt cheap, and free agent. They're not signing free agent. They'll get a guy late in the draft uh, that has some athletic, high upside athletic traits. So, um, you know, I think that the first group would be Phillips and, and Walker until they prove otherwise. And then, you know, you could have Malcolm Smith playing situational football and, and, and allowing Mac Wilson to be a depth guy. And Taki Taki's your, your Sam when you need a thumper in there against base set. So that's kind of how I view it. Perfect. And then uh, we already kind of have an idea on the defensive end. You have Miles Garrett. You have Tack McKinley. Uh, I had some hopes for Curtis Weaver uh, coming into the draft, so I'm looking forward to that. Port Augusta and Joe Jackson. But on the interior, obviously, Andrew Billings uh, returns from the COVID list. They signed him last year to a one-year deal. Larry Ogunjobi is out. Uh, Vincent Taylor is out, and then you bring in Malik Jackson. So how do you see, similar to that linebacker question, how do you see those four rotating and their roles on the interior of the defensive line? Uh, I think Billings will slide into the one. He'll he'll take over where Larry was starting, and Malik Jackson will rotate with him and and continue to play uh, play where he's typically played. And then uh, the three will be Sheldon and, and Jordan Elliott will get a great chance there again. His second year, I did not think he was impressive his rookie year, but maybe he has a better second year. And um, I would I would be surprised if they don't add a D tackle as early as round one if Christian Barmore is there. They could go uh, a D tackle is a position where they they're in flux. Uh, in their immediate future, they don't have a guy under contract in 2021, or sorry, 2022. So after next year, it is uh, it is an open. I mean, I should say Jordan Elliott is under contract, his rookie contract. But if they're <laughs> top three, those guys are all gone. To, uh, hypothetically, they could re- rework deals and keep guys around longer. But that 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 position has no long term great big plan. So I, I think that they will add to that position as well. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I, so I think, you know, having players and then, like we talked about, having a, a hope and a plan for the future, you know, that combination is, is really important. And so they have some guys right now that can fill in. Um, I think when you look at the difference between contracts for, uh, you know, Larry Ogunjobi uh, and Malik, I think those were pretty significantly different contracts, uh, for especially for production and what's going on, especially with Billings returning. So a lot of interesting players there. Obviously an opportunity for the Browns to improve still in free agency. You know, I in the um, way too early 53-man roster that, that just went up on the site, you know, I talked about the possibility of a, of a Melvin Ingram and a Steven Nelson or, you know, whatever that could look like, which would really open up the, opportun- the options in the NFL draft. But the Browns have a lot of draft picks still to work with, and so, uh, you know, a lot of hope that they can continue not only to improve for 2021, but also develop guys and be ready to keep this window open. And that's really the difference between, you know, those dynasty-like teams that give themselves as many bites at the apple in the playoffs as possible, because it's Yahtzee, it's wild card, and those that just kind of flame in and out. They get into the playoffs, maybe they make a run for the Super Bowl, and then they miss a couple years and they come back. You know, it's a little bit hit or miss. The good teams... They develop over time. They develop their own. They sometimes lose guys in free agency, but they're always replenishing. They're always replacing, and they're often doing that early. So good stuff today, Jake. I appreciate your time. I hope you are doing well. Uh, Thank you all for coming by again. Make sure you check out the OBR at theobr.com, on Twitter at theobr. You can get uh, Jake there as well, Jake underscore Burns. 18. I always have to try to quietly think through what that number is there at the end. Um, and then make sure you get a hold of me there at Jared K. Mueller. Jake, thank you for your time, sir. Jared, always my pleasure, buddy. Absolutely. And as always, folks, as we end, uh, just a, a desperate plea, a continued plea, because I absolutely, truly care about all of you that support us. Please take care of yourself, take care of others, and as always, go Browns.